Well, welcome back, CJ. We're here for another stunning episode of Icon or Wycon. Icon or Wycon. It's a brilliant title. Andrew, it's good to see you and hear you. How are things? You know, things are okay. New York's opening back up. We're uh, enjoying our time in the sunlight and, uh, and doing our part. Doing our part. That's right. Wearing masks, washing our hands, staying six feet away from each other. It's week 16. It's week 16 already. It's week 16. Yep. I haven't worked. I haven't worked. I haven't. I've played video games. I've done all of the cleaning and I've been watching the movies. You've been watching the movies. It's what a charming segue. Absolutely. We have a very important film that we want to talk about today. It is part two of the View Askew Universe. Uh, it is, I can say this now with confidence, it is my favorite film in the universe. Problematic as it may be, it's hysterical. It does have problems. It is really, really funny. And Jason Lee steals the show. Right from the start. Jason Lee. I watched this movie the other day and I was just like, it should have been a bigger star. He should have been a bigger star. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Starting out the movie with the Walt Flanagan cat up his ass story. Like, just come, coming in hot with this opening monologue and, and showing the little the, the names of the stores, rug munchers, the carpet out. Like, the, he sets the tone up perfectly with that audio and the visual matching. You know exactly what you're going to see and what this is going to be. You know, you know exactly what you're in for, yes. And I love to the the comic book opening introducing all the actors and the characters and giving them sort of a comic book uh, personality to go along with them. And, and it, you know, in the, in the fifth rewatch, you know, back in uh, 1998, I started to put that together. I said, Oh, I see. And there's Ben Affleck with his hands on the girl's butts. And that's, that's his character. And Jay is in there and uh, T.S., uh, so I, I love that, especially because comic books uh, do play such a huge role in, you know, not only the, the story, the backstory of the characters of the film, uh, but also in the sound design and in the storyline. And then, you know, again, I did this last time, but I'm going to I'm going to peek a little bit early and, and with my CJ special award. I think the ultimate cameo of our guy, Stan Lee. Was this his first cameo? Was this, you know, was this the one that inspired all the the twenty three MCU cameos? I don't know, but I think it's just it's just a brilliantly set up, set setting you up for the world that you're going to be in and the world and the point of view and the ideas of the characters that you're going to see. That Stanley cameo is spectacular, and it immediately reminds me of back when I was a kid and he would do the little uh, intro before. The cartoon. Sure. And be like, hello, true believers. On this episode of the Fantastic Four, he's using the same voice even. He's our guy. Yeah. Stan Lee. I mean, I, I know you're more of a DC guy than a Marvel guy, but for me, Stan Lee is uh, just about everything. Just about everything to me. And his interaction with the audience became such a part of enjoying the Marvel Universe. And I think this movie possibly does presage his inclusion in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, I think so. But we're way ahead of ourselves. Way ahead of ourselves. So far ahead. So right in the beginning, we we hear the name Julie Dwyer. She is our MacGuffin. And we know, oh, okay, we're in the same 
place. We're in the same universe. These characters know the characters that we just met in the previous film. Yeah, it takes place. It's amazing to me. It's so good that he started a universe immediately, fresh out the gate. Julie Dwyer's funeral is the opening sequence, essentially. Mm -hmm. And you find out that our main character, T.S., is really kind of the reason why Julie Dwyer died. He's partly responsible. Uh, What he said to Julie Dwyer about the camera adding 10 pounds is a known fact. So this may be the first time that Julie has heard this information and then she was in a sense body shamed into doing all those laps. Right? Her, it, it, he got inside of her head uh, and she uh, uh, met her you know, unfortunate, un- uh, untimely demise. Yeah. T.S.'s girlfriend, Brandy, has to do the show and can't go away with T.S. And we know that we find out that T.S is not well liked by Brandy's father to begin with. Now we have conflict. Now we have drama. Now we have a place to go. And we're we're three minutes in. Yep. So kudos to you, Kevin. Fun fact, this sequence is a reshoot. Get out of here. Total reshoot. Uh, there was a whole alternate sequence. Uh, there was a governor's ball. And TS did something that destroyed that whole moment very publicly and that's why at the end of the movie the executives are like we don't want a repeat of the governor's ball there it is there was an original opening sequence and then uh, test audiences didn't like it so Kevin Smith is like alright let's connect it to Julie Dwyer's funeral it was a Hail Mary and that's why Yeah. oh look at that the happiest of accidents and it's so good Uh, let's talk about Claire Forlani's accent though because me and my friends would do TSI can't go all the time. That's a this American accent's new for her, huh? Yeah, I had you know I had forgotten just uh, how it it deteriorated over the course of the film because the first time that you hear it in what nineteen ninety five or nineteen ninety six whenever this movie came out, you don't really know who Claire Forlani is. Yeah. And so you're listening to this person talk, and you're like, what's up with her? Is she a bad actor? Is she? But the, by the time we get to the end of the film, I'm like, oh, she's English. And yeah. she can't really do this accent that well. Got it. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> Second Suda? Like, it's like she, like, she really gives up. It's <laughs> She just quit. Yeah. She had had enough. She had had enough of talking like a filthy American. Yeah. You know what's funny about this movie? Uh, this movie is kind of like, it's in three acts, but act one is like two whole sections. And it's kind of similar to Clerks in that it's in an then story. It's very vignette It doesn't have the 17 chapter headings. No. Nope. But you're meeting people for a very long time. Because you meet, you, you got Brody's monologue, then you meet Brandy and TS, and you find out of that whole conflict. And then we go back to Brody and Renee and they set up that conflict, which, wait, can we talk about how I still have not gotten over Shannon Doherty's performance in this movie? It's and honestly incredible. Cool. She's great. And the monologue about what she thinks about in the bathroom when she cries while she's pushing <laughs> the chest of drawers to the window to climb out of it. Chest of drawers, also known as a bureau. A bureau. In, in some circles. In some circles. That whole sequence, when she's slowly, like, nudging everything over, is 
so good. It's really good. It's really good because you you know that he's just sitting there on the bed playing video games and not he's not really understanding or it's not all getting in. No. You know, her issue because her issue is that she has to push that chest of drawers to the window to sneak out of his house. Yeah. But it doesn't it doesn't compute with him. No, because his mom is probably going to hate her. <laughs> yeah. His mom is going to hate her. We don't really know why his mom he thinks his mom is going to hate her. Never meet there's her. All kind, there's all kinds of issues with the character of Brody going on, you know, in in the real in the in the uh, in the film world that is Mallrats, but also in the real world, uh, you know, which which is him him and TS both. It takes them these these breakups, their their the, women walking out on them, for them to start honoring and and you know understanding what they have in their relationships. Most definitely, and it's great because you see that relationship. The the next thing we we have the two men meet, and you understand this friendship. We get the whole thing about proposing to her during Jaws, which as a Florida boy, Universal Studios Florida and the Jaws ride Absolutely. that was a big deal in the early '90s when that ride came out. Huge deal, huge deal, ahead of its time. A technological marvel. Oh yeah, and and the plastic shark. Yeah. And then they go to the mall, and then you're there. And once you're in the mall, everything really takes off. You meet Shannon Hamilton, you meet Willem with the magic eye poster, and you meet Jay and Silent Bob. You find out that the game show is going to be at the... Like, it's the perfect way. You've met all these characters, and then they burn off everything else you need to know for the rest of the movie in five minutes. Yeah. You, uh, Alyssa, I think is her name, the 15-year-old. Trish. Trisha. Trish. They call yeah. me Trish the Dish. Nobody calls me that. <laughs> <laughs> she's she's a great character. She's, uh, I think, very well played by the actress in the film. And, you know, that's, that's, that's one of the first times in the, in the movie, in the rewatch anyway, that I sort of had a little bit of an uncomfortable feeling. Because here, the, here this... Here's this girl, she's 15 years old, and she's talking about all of the sexual relations that she's having with all of these older men. And it's, you know, 23-year-old CJ, it didn't really compute. Right? Not at all. It Honestly, the Trish the Dish storyline, uh, it's very prominent to the plot. It does not age well. No, a lot, of, and a lot of things, unfortunately for me, didn't age well. Um, there's just... The, the movie obviously does not pass the Bechtel test no. because I believe the, the only scene where there's two women talking to each other is when Gwen and what's her name? Brandy. Brandy are talking backstage, but they're not talking about anything other than TS. It's one, one girl is building TS up. I'm sorry. One woman is building TS up. The other woman is, you know, sort of on trial and pleading why it's okay for them not to be together anymore. So Bechtel tests failed and you know this that's only one of I believe a lot of misogynistic issues that I noticed in the rewatch that when I was younger and sort of you know loving this hilarious farcical film uh, it, it became a little problematic. Well, also, you have to take into consideration the time. We're in the early 90s. We hadn't unpacked 
the treatment of women in the workplace and in cinema in a way that we've unpacked it right now. So looking at it right now in 2020, we're looking at, it's a snapshot of how we felt about women in the 90s and what was appropriate to say about them. And honestly, as much as I love Kevin Smith and his writing, the women in this movie are basically Caitlin and Veronica from Clerks. And your two leading men are basically Dante and Randall, with Randall taking the feature of this movie. Surely. After we yeah. watched Randall hijack the movie from Dante and Clerks. Yeah. And, you know, there's a part of me that, that is, uh, says, oh, my God, this is, this is, this is terrible, and, and, and I hope that I can still enjoy this movie. But there's the other part that says, you know what? Kevin Smith is a young filmmaker at this point. And he's just writing what he knows. And what, like you said, what he knew about society at the time was dudes are dudes, chicks are chicks, and this is just how we're going to roll. And I don't think that Kevin Smith, you know, while the characters of of Gwen and Brandy are certainly interesting, I don't know that Kevin Smith really knew how to write a female character at this point. You know, so it's, it's, it's 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 the chicken or the egg argument. Or is it? I don't know. But is, if there's something about it that you know, you have to, you have to ultimately not only suspend your disbelief, but you kind of have to suspend your your moral compass for a moment, and say, this was like you said, this is just a different time. It's a different place, and he's in a different place, you know, as opposed to how we're all sort of becoming enlightening, enlightened, and the Me Too movement is, is has certainly nudged a lot of our brethren sure. <laughs> along the path. You know, I was I was fortunate. I grew up with five sisters. So whenever I watched a movie like this, you know, my, my, my brother uh, showed me Revenge of the Nerds when I was about eight, eight or nine years old. That's a great right? film. So <laughs> it's I a great it. movie. And, and, I said it. It's great. You know, and, and, and Porky's too. The, the, the Porky series, you know, fun fact, the studio originally thought that this was going to be like a modern version of Porky's and was going to be funnier. And that's how they were going to sort of market it. They already had a, they already had plans for a sequel, you know, before the the movie came out and didn't do that well at the box office. But I saw all of those movies when I was younger. But yet there I was with these five strong women around me. So it it was sort of like I knew that that was just pretend, right? That was a, a fantasy, a movie that wasn't going to dictate how I lived my life, how I treated women, you know. So. It's interesting to think about. It's a luxury that you knew that. There are a lot of young yeah. boys out there that don't know that, that they don't know that that's not how we talk about ladies, that don't know that's not how we treat ladies, and that don't even know that that's not really what men are about either, you know? The majority of us, I, I, I'd love to believe that the majority of us are not like that, you know? We're, yeah. We, we, we do chase tail. We do have a lot more hormones. We do have... You know, we do think about sex probably more often <laughs> than we should or than, whip that, than women do. But at the end of the day, there is a certain amount of respect that I think in the end, in the end of the movie, when we finally get there, that T.S. and Brody have discovered. You know, that they, they you don't know what you've, you've got till it's gone. And I, I like to believe that as they go forward with Brandy and Renee, that they're just going to behave just a little bit better in the end. I would like to believe that. I would, you know, I, I would like to believe that these two people can grow. And honestly, from Clerks to Mallrats, we see Kevin Smith's treatment of homophobia grow. Sure. You know, because uh, 
these sure. are some choice things in Clerks that he makes jokes about in Mallrats as a way to like soften it. Be like, this guy's a yeah. homophobe. No, I'm not a homophobe. I love gay people. So you love gay people. It's it's still naughty, but it's way more sensitive to the things he said in Clerks. So there is an yes. awareness and there is a growth that we're getting to see as viewers. And, and I, I think that's special. Uh, a couple great things for me. Uh, Wolverine's berserker attack. When he oh, first yes. enlists Jane Silent Bobby, he's like, Wolverine! Like, that's great. The Jedi mind trick subplot, bringing Star Wars oh, back into it. All the way through. All the way through. You know, and, and uh, the, the Batman stuff, the second time that they try to trash the, trash the stage with Kevin Smith up on the, the ledge in the Batman suit. He flies through, you know, he unfortunately lands into Gwen's dressing room. Twice. Twice. Uh, you know, and, and again, not to, not to belabor the point, but, you know, that's, that's another situation where we have a woman placed into... A vulnerable situation for the man to come in and it's funny we play it for laughs is we play it for laughs you know so and that's a song I, th- I think that i think that they both you know i laughed both times and sort of tried to like take my social conscious <laughs> consciousness out of it um you got to meet the movie where yeah. it's at you you got to meet the movie where it's at absolutely and it it, it doesn't pull any punches like you said with the right from the start with the the gerbil in the ass oh yeah you know it's like we're setting it up this is a farce yeah it's ridiculous this is not to be taken seriously um you know what does age well for me brody's rants i think brody's rants are some powerful writing again very much in the vein of randall's rants and clerks very similar in tone but the uh kryptonite condom rant about how how Lois Lane cannot possibly handle Superman's load still to this day kills me big Superman fan you know this about me I do know that about you and the way he ties it up with like the only way he could possibly do it is with a kryptonite condom but that would kill him I that would kill him die every single time yeah again Jason Lee's execution in this film I think is just flawless should have been a bigger star he He handles it so beautifully I think he knows who this person is and as close to himself you know as as it might be he nails this role you know and uh, the guy who played TS is just sort of along for the ride and he knows it you can see it yeah he has made the Dante type, the Dante archetype, the secondary character in this movie. Right. And then you put somebody like Jason Lee in a position of authority to really like helm this film. And, and he nails it. I was so moved by this performance that my senior quote in high school, remember senior quotes, CJ? I sure do. My senior quote was that kid is back on the escalator again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like that's how that's how much this movie was for me, and this I graduated in two thousand one. Like this movie was six years old by the time I graduated, but that stuck with me. This has been on my rewatch list since I was at least sixteen years old. Like I just like that's this movie amazing. a lot. I think it's so good. Yeah, yeah. I watched this movie probably fifteen times in in a row once I gained access to it. It's funny. You know, it's it's and like gen- I said last time, this this was my first taste of Kevin Smith's film. Yeah. I watched this I watched this one first. Me too. So 
Me too. This is my first one. I went back and checked out Clerks later. This was a... I feel like it was an HBO rotation. Must have been. I think because it was just... I was so inundated with this film. And I know I saw... I definitely remember seeing the second half first. Oh, okay. So it was on and you just happened to tune in to the station. And watched it go by. Because the thing I remember the most is... Jay screaming in Willem's ear at the magic eye poster, being like, what you need is a fatty boom batty blunt. You see mermaids oh. doing some lesbian shit. Like, he says all those things to him. Jason Muse again. God bless and con- and congratulations. You know. And, Almost. And thank God that I think we're about to say the same thing, aren't we? You go ahead. Seth Green. Almost with Seth Green. Almost with Seth Green. Look at us. <laughs> Could you even though Seth Green? He would have. He would have undoubtedly played his character from Buffy. Sure, that's all you wanted. And he would have been. Then. He would have been fine. We would have enjoyed it, you know. And as as for us having seen Mallrats first, we wouldn't have known that this other thing existed. No. So we we might have been okay, you know, until we went back and saw Clerks and said, "Hey, wait a second, wait a minute." Oh my gosh, he's. How- He's perfect in this film. He he grows. Uh, the character grows, and and Jason Mewes grows, and his his delivery, and the the da- the dancing past people as they're walking by. You know that first scene. It's just wonderful. Just wonderful, wonderful cinema. He's so funny. Jason Mewes is so genuinely funny in this movie. Right. The stage trashing sequences. Sequences. Let me try that again. The stage trashing sequences. There are two of them. They have the Roadrunner Wiley Coyote plans. Yep. Yep, with the kid that messes everything up. The kid with the why is the kid in the middle of the mall playing with this wooden truck? You know, I mean, well, I was that kid. A fun fun little side story. You're from Florida. Yeah. So you must know about Jay Byron's department store? Yes. So one time when I was living in Florida, I lived in uh, the Coral Gables area. I was approximately three years old. We went to a Jay Byron store. I found this out later because who remembers anything from when they were three? We went to Jay Byron's and I got lost. I got I broke off from the group and my parents needed to go and you know on this big search to find me. Uh, and um, and fortunately for everybody involved, myself included, uh, I had decided to make the curtain section. A portable restroom so they didn't find me so much as they smelled me cj and they were able <laughs> to locate me in jay byron so i know what it's like to be that kid to wander away you know and while i didn't uh shoot out a skateboard to trip up a would-be vandal uh i shit all over the curtains in the jay byron's department store that's what i did <laughs> so i've been that kid when you ask why what's he doing there that's you know. I guess kids just doing. Kids just do stuff. Kids do stuff. Kids do the damnedest things. There it is. There we go. So all of these zany elements are happening. You got the stage trashing. You got lots of Star Wars references. Still schematics like the Death Star, like really overt Star Wars references again. Um, it leads us up to the elevator sequence, which is kind of where the movie takes a turn, where he's trying to Absolutely. get Renee back, and you find out that Renee has spent three hours with Shannon Hamilton 
but like he's already done all these better boyfriend things they're gonna have dinner with his mom at the cheese house <laughs> he got tickets <laughs> to the opera yeah you know, all the typical sort of fancy everything she wants things. that Brody's not giving her but then she bangs Brody in the elevator it's just it's right. we do not treat the women well in this film no no and you know even even earlier when he's they're first spotted together and he slaps her on the butt yeah you know and you're like wow that he would she had a boyfriend this morning and now she's being slapped on the butt right away you know your your first thought is like oh well i can't believe she's doing that and it's like no 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 i can't believe he's doing that yeah oh, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. that's mistreatment of women but then we do we well we get to the elevator uh, and it, I think this is, like you said, where the movie takes a turn. I think that this is where Brody takes a turn. Yeah. You know, where he, he thinks he can just bang her and then everything's going to be fine. But uh, she takes back a little bit of the power. She gets the sex and still tells him, mm, nah, I'm good. Thanks a lot. Anyway. And now he has to go into full get Renee back mode. Yeah. Both of their motivations change. And we get the interaction with Gwen. Wait. When, like, he elbows Gwen in the boob and Gwen hits him in yeah. the nuts. I don't know why yeah, just... I cackled so hard. Oh, it's it's great physical comedy, first of all. You know, and, and of course, us us being, you know, the, the 10-year-old boys that we are, we see someone get hit in the boob, ha, 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 yeah. and then she cracks him back in the nuts. No, it's hilarious. And it's so well done. It's, it's really well executed. It's so moment. good. Uh, there was a rumor that Joey Lauren Adams was promised the role of Renee. Get out of here. Yeah. Some of these casting decisions reek of studio involvement. Mm. You have Ben Affleck with his original teeth. You have uh, <laughs> Shannon Doherty, who is yeah. definitely in 90210 at this point. Sure. Definitely yeah, well, famous. even her, her cartoon or her comic book character in the opening credits uh, i think there's a there's like a a callback to beverly hills 90210 the, the emblem right on it willem calls her brenda calls her brenda yeah they really they lean into it um, yeah you know the rumors about seth green the the studio really was trying to make kevin smith happen yes to his to his credit to his credit yeah you know, and kevin com- smith insisted of on using some of his go-tos yeah all right you know it's good. It's a good balance of like what the studio see he could become, saw he could become, with his own people that he needed it to be. There's multiple Agreed. interviews of him saying how he had to push Jason Lee on Harvey Weinstein a lot. Huh. That he was a big champion for Jason Lee, and the Weinstein company never really got on board. Got on board. And they used sure. Mallrats underperforming as evidence towards that. Wow, and it's a shame. That's unfortunate. Jason Lee, I, you know, I, I stand Jason Lee. Hey, again, his his performance in this movie is just incredible. I mean, he carries it. He literally carries the film from start to finish. Yeah, he really does. What's funny? A good universe tie-in is Gwen talking about how she fucked Rick Darris on a pool table. Rick Darris, yeah, love it. It's great. Love it. Gwen is kind of like your substitute for Caitlyn. Sure. It's the same the sure. same type of girl. Um, the Halloween party. But, of course, I remember that. When are you ever going to see 
Smokey fucked the bandit. Yeah, Didn't I look just stuff. like Burt Reynolds? Except for the mustache. It's a great bit. Except for the mustache. Except for the mustache. Yeah, Gwen is Gwen is your Caitlyn character, just with a, she's a lot more likable. Yeah. You know, not only is, is Joey Lauren Adams just adorable, but the character itself is, you know, we don't we don't sort of we don't hear a lot about her sexploitations that are, you know, negative that could be perceived as as somebody doing something wrong. No. You know. She's who she is. She owns it. She, yeah. Um, I love, love her for it. The sleeping arm metaphor. His whole rant about where you put your arm when you're sleeping. Yeah, yeah. With, while he's holding TS, and it's, TS looking more and more uncomfortable as as the story goes on. It's so good. And yeah. the, the clerk at the, the clerk, the clerk. Yeah, and she's. You see her. And you you clock her. Yeah. You know, the second or third time you you see her and you watch her. And she just she just loses it. It affects her. You know, she knows what he's talking about. He she's been through that. Where do you put the other arm when you're spooning with someone in bed? And she's got to go. She's just got to leave. What's funny is, whereas Randall did a lot of posturing and clerks, you know, and he always had these big statements that he wanted to make, these large form statements, and you have this Brody character that's doing the same thing. Plot-wise, that pays off that he's that guy, that he always has something to say. Sure. Because this is all leading to him taking over the show when they crash the show and being eventually becoming the host of The Tonight Show. Spoiler alert, but yeah. 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 It's... it's, That's That's his gig. His gig is standing up in front of people and just being hilarious. It's just fun to see a writing device that's essentially a retread from a prior film but factoring into the plot now, this this actually yes. is going to pay off at the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Again, growth growth by the filmmaker. Do you know what does not age well as well? Does not age well as well. Does not age well as well as well. Do you know Tell what else me. didn't really hold up for me? Uh, we do some butt sex shaming. Yeah. And yeah, uh, and and we and we don't name it. No. They don't name it. You know, they say putting it somewhere uncomfortable. Yeah, somewhere girls dread. Yeah. What, like somewhere the back of a Volkswagen? <laughs> Do love the back of a Volkswagen, though. It's a good I joke. think that, that that does really well. That does really well. I cackled the third Every time. time. Every time. You know. It's it's because it's it pays off really quickly. And it's like a late addition. Yeah. But you get the three, you get the rule of three rather right, quickly yeah. with that joke. And and mullet Dante's delivery of it just mullet Dante perfect, Gil perfect. He's Gil Hicks. Gil Hicks. Gil Dante's cousin Gil. Yeah, yeah. That hair perfect. Oh, it's well groomed. It's good. <laughs> Fun fact about this movie: first appearance of Blunt Man, and oh yeah, what would turn into Blunt Man and Chronic, which factors Blunt later. Man and Chronic. In, in the sure. series um, first time you hear Jay say snoochie boochies and he says it a lot he does they, he makes it he a thing it a lot. immediately yep did you grow up by flea markets CJ you know I grew up in Manchester Vermont where there was a flea market so to say I, I guess it's yes and no I mean okay. I, I had a flea market uh, but there were not multiple markets See, I grew up uh, near Daytona Beach, and the Daytona Beach flea market 
My favorite stand was the left-handed store stand. I'm left-handed. Left-handed store stand? Yeah, I'm left-handed. I need products. I see. You uh, all have your own store. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What was really You're cool? Good. My favorite thing was a spiral notebook with the binding on the right side. <gasps> Key. So you don't cut your hand. I always wondered about that. Yeah. Yeah, because I had an actor once. He sent me an email and asking if we were going to have spiral bound scripts. And I said, this is the theater. You think we have money for that? Yeah. No. You'd be lucky you're getting a printout. But I, you know, it was the first time it dawned on me. He said, I'm left handed and I'd like to have my, my spirals on the other side if possible. It's great. It, it's revolutionary. Once you feel that for the first time, it's a very, very real thing. So we're still talking about notebooks. Yes. Good. But so uh, they say the dirt mall in this movie. The dirt the mall. Dirt they mall. keep referencing the dirt mall. And the first time I saw this movie in its entirety, I was like, what the hell is a dirt mall? And then they go there and I was like, oh, it's a flea market. And it looks just, just like the Daytona Beach flea market. It's just as weird and uh, a little bit dirty. But there's stuff yeah. there that you can't find anywhere else. Like a clerk's hat. Good eye. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the first time I've noticed it. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just watching it the other night, you know, just because we I had clerks on the brain because we had recorded the other podcast. And yeah. The, because we had recorded the other episode. So I saw it. I said, oh, look at that. And it, it was unapologetic. He just picked it up, put it on, and then he took it off. And that was it. And then it's, it was gone. It's only in the movie for fans. Which is funny because yeah. this is his second movie. What fans? It's the second have? movie. It's a power move. He is. He <laughs> knows he's going to make the rest of these movies. Right. Wherever right. his career goes, like, and and what's funny is he's not going to direct a Zathora. He's not going to turn into a John Favreau. No. Who like started indie and then went a different direction? Like he stayed in his Kevin Smithness, in his Kevin stayed Smith in his power, Kevin, in his Kevin Smith lane. Yeah, it's it's kind of a beautiful thing. So, yeah. Miss Ivana, the topless fortune telling sequence. Oh wow, good stuff. You know, I'm watching it the other night, and it's funny. I had uh, I had total recall. I thought that she was going to have a third breast. Ah, like in Total Recall. Just right? a third isn't that nipple. Total Recall with the three breasts? Yes. Right. I thought she was going to have a third breast, but no, it's just a third nipple. And I was watching the third nipple go by, and I had forgotten that she takes it off. That it's fake, that it's a fake nipple. I'd forgotten all that, so I I experienced all that for the first time. Brand new. You know what's interesting for me? She takes off the fake nipple. What if she gets another client? Yeah. She kind of took the fake nipple off for our benefit. And then she put it in her mouth. I think it's supposed to be chewing gum. Okay. There's just a lot to unpack that I never really cared about when I first watched it. But watching it again, I was like, oh, I but like I just the older you get, you start to notice when things are in movies that don't make sense for the character to do. They're just there for our benefit. That's a moment like that. Like, yeah, the audience needs to know the third nipple is fake. All right. So she takes it off. The audience needs to know that it's chewing gum. So she chews on it. There's no reason for Miss Ivana to do that after they leave. 
No. And there's no reason for her to have a third nipple. I guess it's like her third eye. Yeah. It's like it ties into the psychic powers that she has. It's her gimmick. It's, yeah. Well, you yeah, no, you're right. It, it's you're her right. gimmick. You know, she's like, the, the power comes from her third nipple. The way she uses it, I wonder, the way she uses it while she's reading their fortune. And she like, I still remember how she goes, October, and points at each of the double nipple. That's right. And when she's That's like, right. and when she pushes them together, she's like, you're going to have to combine forces. Do you think that was staged or do you think he just let the actress go for it? I got to believe that, that he had an idea of what he wanted because there's another rumor going around that when they were before they started filming that he was like the king of the line reading oh that he sort of like that he sort of micromanaged the the putting together you know of the film um but then once shooting started he just sort of took a back seat so yeah i don't know i wonder if he if he gave her that in the beginning it was like this is these are the sort of things that i need you to do here um, or if, or if that was the actor playing, it could honestly it could be it could be probably a combination of both, but whatever it was, it worked. I think it's hilarious. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna ask you a question, CJ, and uh, I just I want you to feel like this is a safe space. You can answer me honestly. Our 17 listeners will hear this as well, but I, I just I want you to know that uh, you can trust me with this answer. Have you ever stink palmed somebody? Thankfully, no. Okay. Have Thankfully, you ever no. wanted to stink palm somebody? There's a there's a list about seventeen people long. Me too. Me too. I there's a certain thing in me that prevents me from actually going there. Part of it is having the stink on my hand for two days, but watching Brody stink palm somebody and the way the camera lingers on him rubbing his hand all over his ring. Oh, and the chocolate melting. Oh, and and Michael oh. Rooker licking his fingers all seductively. Oh, uh, Michael Michael Rooker, what a performance by him as well in this movie. We have haven't even talked about that. We we have not even right? talked about Mr. Svenning and how what a great supervillain he is. Yeah, just a, a perfect archetype and 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 he, Michael Rooker plays it so well. Great performance, but yes, the the stink palm with all of that, it's it's a nauseating, it's a wonderfully nauseating moment. Well, and they keep cutting you know, back to T.S. like air vomiting, like, like yeah, he really tells yeah. us how to feel. Absolutely. Ha- happily, you know, going back to your question, the, the worst thing I ever, that I've ever done in that vein was when I worked at a restaurant, if somebody didn't, if I felt like somebody wasn't treating me with any respect. Uh, and needed to be quote unquote stink palm. I would simply lick their straw, and then put it in their drink. Oh my! Gosh. That's as bad as I got. That's as bad as I got. So to our seventeen listeners, treat your waiter and your waitress or your server, as it were, treat them well because they're in control. They have all the power. That's real, and service industry is difficult. Very difficult. Very difficult. On your feet for eight hours, slinging french fries. <laughs> it's you know? so true. Renee's outfits. You notice she changes her clothes like four times in this movie? 
she's all fashioned. Do you think it's another 90210 trope? I, I gotta believe. The rumor I read is that she had in her contract that she keeps her costumes, so she kept making an excuse that she's gonna like retail therapy and try on what she bought. Oh, well done, Shannon. Right? I applaud that. I think that's great. That's so that's smart. That's better than a mini fridge in the dressing room. Yeah, it's way better. Good not to Degrassi, too, with the Degrassi jacket. <laughs> For all you Canadians out there. It's a good show. It's a great show. I've never seen an episode. You've never seen an episode of Degrassi? Never seen an episode of Degrassi. My wife talks about it a lot. She's Canadian. I saw one of the actors from Degrassi in an off-Broadway show at Theatre Row. Wonder if we'll ever see one of those again. But never seen an episode of Degrassi. It's fun. It's I fun. Bet. Highly recommend. Wildly popular. I mean, there's literally they did Degrassi: The Next Generation. Drake is a Degrassi alum. Drake it, loves Degrassi. Yeah, calls it out on the social medias. Well, you have to. I mean, he's he yep. was he was in a wheelchair. And then he was Drake. Rags to riches. It's it's basically Cinderella, just with Canadian television. De Grags to riches. How dare you, you CJ LaRoche. How if it, if, dare you. If any sentence can be responded to with how dare you, I'm going to say it. <laughs> and I think, I think we've learned that in our time together. So... Miss Ivana, she sends the boys back to the mall and uh, the whole scene gets set to destroy the show, right? Yep. And they're going to destroy the show. Yep. Jay smokes them out, makes them pass out. Stan Lee, on the way to the stage, Stan Lee talks to Brody. Again, fantastic, fantastic cameo, and not just a cameo. Oh, look, it's Stan Lee, but he plays an integral part in the film. He moves the plot forward. He delivers what is ostensibly a retread of the lasagna line. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just a lot cooler because it's Stan Lee. Oh, it's so good. Look at that couple over there. Don't they look so in love? Like, the way he sets it up. Yeah. Now, my thing is this. talking about it. Let's talk about order of events here. So, we have Miss Ivana at the dirt mall. She sends them back yes. to the mall. Brody and T.S. back at Eden Prairie. T.S. has to get Jay to get rid of the contestants. Yep. And then Stan Lee talks to Brody. Right. And then after that conversation, T.S. confirms with Stan Lee that he spoke to And it's all good. Him. He was successful in his mission. How did T.S. have time to accomplish all of this? Or do we just say movie? Well, you said the words Eden Prairie, which Eden Prairie is in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I know that because on my government trip, government studies trip to Washington, D.C. in my sophomore year of high school, I met a gal named Sandy who was deaf from Eden Prairie, Minnesota. So when I watched this, I said, Eden Prairie, that's in Minnesota. They shot this movie at a mall in Eden Prairie, Minnesota, not in New Jersey. Again, the studio 
having everything to do with that because the, the there was a tax break at the time for movies in Minnesota, so they wanted to do it cheaply. And also, the mall, you know, have you ever been to a, you sure you've been to a mall in New Jersey? Yeah. Especially at this time, I mean, those places are crowd dead. Yeah. This mall in Eden Prairie, Minnesota, not so much. So, the answer to your question is movie magic. Yeah. Plot convenience. We got to just suspend disbelief. Just watching it again, I was kind of bowled over. I was like, when did TS talk to Stan Lee? There's literally a sequence an hour ago that they can't get into the comic book store because Stan Lee's there. Right. Maybe when... Maybe, okay, maybe when he walks away from Brody when he's talking about the stink palm. Maybe that's when he does it. Does he... Cause that, but that happens before... Way before the dirt That happens way before. Way before, yeah. Yeah. It's a bit of a hole. It's a little bit of a hole. It's a bit of what Bill Simmons yeah. would call an unanswerable question. <laughs> Again, Bill. Bill would know. Bill would know the answer, though, wouldn't he? He'd figure it out. He might. I, I f- He'd figure it out. I feel like I'm going to bait Bill in every episode, and one day, someday, he will guest star with us. That would be a dream come true. Wouldn't that be a dream? If there's anyone that knows Bill listening to this, hashtag shoot him a text. We'd, hashtag icon or ycon. We'd love to have you. We'd love to. We'd love to see you here. Yeah, it's you know. Fortunately for Kevin Smith, if he ever wants to fix this plot hole, he can just do it in the animated series, or he could do it in a comic book, or maybe during a game of Fortnite. You know, Star Wars said it's all okay, so just just figure it out there. Yeah, or the Visual Dictionary. The visual dictionary will tell you that Lando is hitting on his daughter. Yeah. A- actual plot threads in a visual dictionary. They they set up the biggest plot point of the final theatrical release in the Skywalker saga during a game of Fortnite. I can't. During a game of Fortnite. Who approved that? Kathleen. Gotta be. Had to have been her. Had she ruins been. everything. Oh, man. She's ruined so many fanboys' childhoods at this point. That is she must have done that. She must have done that as well. Kathleen, shame on you. That's not a tie-in. That's a plot hole. Like, <laughs> a tie-in is in addition to the main thread of the film. That's, that's what a tie-in is. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, so I think we found, we found a little bit of a plot hole in Mallrats here. Just a little one. I think... You're onto something. But when we, but I'm okay with it. I'm okay I'm with okay it because with it. we kind of rush to the stage. And when we get to the dating show, which, why is the dating show just, it's the, what's, what was that 70s game show? The Love Connection. It's Love Connection. Right? Love Connection. Yeah. Where they ask the questions, Bachelor number one, or they just say suitor. It's such a retread. Oh, absolutely. Presaging the nostalgia obsession. And it's it's done really well by not saying bachelor number one. You know, he gets around any sort of copyright infringement that he'd be he'd be liable to. Uh, no, I love it. I think it's great. I love stuff like that. I love game shows. I love playing games. I thought it, I thought it was great. What's not great is TS gaslighting Brandy. That made me uncomfortable. Not good at all. Not good at all. His whole, everything in that whole scene about him 
until like the last couple of sentences that they say to each other. Yeah, no, you're right. Gaslighting is a, is a perfect word. Well, because he's like, where are, your, where are your convictions? Like, he's like making this yeah. all her problem. It's bad. It's bad. It doesn't age well. Like you said, it just... No. Yeah. But the second suitor yeah, joke's still funny. Again, hilarious. Second I would like to not be second suitor number two. It's a comic book tie-in, right? He wants to... His character is, is grander than just suitor number two. He wants to be second, second suitor. Second suitor. Yeah. Very it's a good. better name. Uh, she takes a little bit too long to figure out that it's T.S. and Brody. She does take a little bit too long, and she's become an English woman at that point. She like has full-fledged, <laughs> full-fledged Queen Margaret at that point. I'm sorry, Princess Margaret. No, the, full-fledged Princess Margaret. She has abandoned her American accent. Right down with the whole meltdown she has. The woman that was supposed to be here today died in a pool accident. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know what I don't know what happened there. I mean, maybe maybe Kevin was hanging upside down, you know, when they were shooting that. Maybe he was backstage trying to Jedi mind trick that tape and back into place. They did it all in real time. Yeah, so the tape of Shannon, the man from Fashionable Mail, sleeping with Trish the Dish, and the fact right. that they the fifteen year old fifteen year old they they're aware yeah. that this is illegal. It leads to Shannon's arrest. And it is a plot point that's played for laughs, and there are no repercussions for what is ostensibly child pornography. Ostensibly. Being displayed right. to the masses. Do you know what I mean? I, watching that right. again, I was like, guys, this is a terrible look. In an otherwise very, very funny sex romp, this is not good. Yeah, no. No, and I, and I don't know if, you know, it was a, a cramp in the writer's room, uh, which was Kevin Smith's brain at that point. But no, just not 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 good and uh, not funny. Even, you know, not good, not funny and has not aged well at all, obviously. And there were I got to believe in this movie that has so much happening, so much going on. There were other ways to do it. Yeah. You know, there was another way to bring that guy down because he was such a dick. You know, we didn't need to, like, lay statutory rape on top of it. Yeah, it's, it's just weird. It's weird. And seeing it now with all the things we know now as adults living in 2020, it looks worse. Uh, it, it, this move, that plot thread would never get photographed again. Do you know what I mean? No way. There would No way. There would be nor no should way, it. Nor should it. One thing I skipped over that I love about this movie is when T- Brody tells the story of his cousin Walter in the plane. Yes. The Walter plane Good. jerk off story is hysterical and he's Good so stuff. graphic. And again, the delivery. He tells the whole thing and then Gil's like, well, did they come? And he's like, Jesus, there's just some things you don't talk about. <laughs> Oh, mullet Dante did well. Did they come? <laughs> that payoff of him telling that filthy story and then berating mullet Dante for wanting to know what happened at the end of it. Yep. Yeah. One more Wait, detail. Perfect. That's too much, man. Perfect Brody. Tip, tip top Brody. Wonderfully delivered and hilarious. 
What's interesting to me, do you think Cameron Crowe knew about this or was referencing this in Almost Famous when that sequence actually happens with Jason Lee in it? Oh, had to. Had to have been a reference. It's so deliberate, right? Ha- had to have been a reference. Yeah. No, Cameron, Cameron Crowe's, Cameron Crowe's a, a, one of our, our finest filmmakers in this time or any time, really. So, yeah, no, he knew, he knew exactly what he was doing. I remember when I saw Almost Famous, I was like, this is Cousin Walter. Yeah. It's that scene. Yeah. Yeah, again, Jason Jason Lee in that film, flawless. Plane writes itself, nobody ever speaks of it again. <laughs> <laughs> so good. All right, so what works for you in this movie? Well, what works for me is, is you know, the, the things that I've been talking about. I think that the comic book feel of this film is spot on you know from the the sound design all of the the fun little superhero things that happen throughout the movie the 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 whole ending sequence is 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 got a real nice you know comic book feel uh and i think that putting stan lee in it you know is just it's just the icing on the cake of that idea you know that vision for this movie and the fact that it you know it takes place in a universe you know it's just sort of like a fun little nugget to know about it's like oh okay so kevin smith loves comic books he's got this character that loves comic books and we're in the same universe as this previous film so the comic book idea and through line for me is is what works and the other thing that works for me is jason lee as we've said over and over again, you know, in the past hour, Jason Lee's performance is just brilliant. Yeah, so it's funny that you said that that's what works for you because mine is also the storytelling format. The way he essentially used vignettes to connect a larger through line that really everything pays off in a very neat way. There's that one plot hole that we talked about, but it's largely forgivable because there's some things in this movie that don't make sense. Silent Bob's blunt man gear is silly, you know? Very silly. Stuff like that. What does not work for you? Well, again, I, you know, what, what doesn't work for me is that this this movie is overtly misogynistic. Mm. Or not, I shouldn't say this movie is overtly misogynistic. There is a misogyny and a misogynistic feel in this world, in this film, that you know years later now watching it again it just doesn't feel good you know i was so excited about watching this movie because i remembered how excited i was when i first saw it i remember how much i loved it like i said i watched it 15 times and oh, yeah. you know right right out of the gate with in this movie you just there's a little bit of an uncomfortable feeling knowing what we know now and watching it now as opposed to when it first came out it just it doesn't it doesn't work cuz it doesn't feel good and it draws the joy away a little bit i can agree with you on that and it's it's baked in to the movie it's like baked it's really in. hard to divorce it from the movie because it's baked into the movie richly yeah every male character is not good to women Every single one. It's not like it's just Shannon. 
and we have, you know, Brody and TS to sort of offset him. Even Willem <laughs> treats every woman he comes across with disrespect. Yeah. You know, so I think that doesn't work. Fortunately, for me, that's it. <laughs> I mean, that's the only thing that I'm like, oh, e, ooh, mm, now. Everything else in this movie, for me, is great for what it is. It's, it's Revenge so of the fun. Nerds. It's Porky's. It's, you know, it's so much fun. You're absolutely right. It's such a fun movie. It's so much fun. And it's like I, like I was saying earlier, you really have to be in a position to meet the movie where it's at. Accept that it's a flawed piece of cinema. Understand that we know better now, that you as a person know better now. Kevin Smith knows better now. Absolutely. It is my hope that the nation knows better now. God willing. Um, and accept that it is a fun, silly romp, albeit it does say some problematic things. I would say since you've touched on that, and it's a conversation we needed to have, I'm going to go a little bit more surface with my what doesn't work about this movie and say it's a tie between Claire Forlani's accent and Ben Affleck's original teeth. <laughs> those those pre-Armageddon teeth are... They're something. They're Southie. Yeah. That is a, a different look. That's a Southie look for you. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew. He's also uh, doughy. He's very doughy. He's not yeah. sexy Ben. No. He's not sexy Ben, you know? It's, no, it's yeah. so weird to see it because we just... Even now, even, like, Dad Ben is still super Ben Affleck hot. Yeah, is it the costume, I wonder? Because he's in that gray suit the whole time, and it's shoulder-padded to death. You know, he looks like Dick Buckus out there. It looks like he borrowed it from Dorothy's Bornack. It's sure Golden Girls wear. It's sure a tapestry. Did. It's so weird, and it's like... And it's... He works at a store called Fashionable Mail, and he is... Anything but. Draped in neutral colors. Right. No. I will say, uh, and this is just because it's a safe space, when he was fighting, I got a little bit lurchy. Mm. Okay. That's fair. It was a little hot. It was a little hot. Yeah. 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 The other thing is that Jason Lee is taller than him. Yeah. So I was a little I was a little taken aback, thinking, uh, I, I think Jason Lee could actually handle Ben Affleck. In this, you know, in these this matchup, but Jason Lee just laid down. I mean, he didn't he didn't fight back at all. Uh, he is Sega boy. Yeah, well, yeah, true. You true. know, he is in his parents' kind of, basement. He probably doesn't have a lot of fighting skills. You're right. You're right. They kind of paint him as a schlub. Yeah, for sure. For Renee sure. does complain about his sex drive. Yeah, which is weird for him not to have sex drive. He's got a hot girlfriend. Hmm. But that too, what I just said, that's misogynistic. It is. So it is. Admittedly, what you know, it, it you get caught up in it. You get caught up in it, Andrew. Yeah, as though his sex drive is her responsibility. It's as, not. As though his sex drive is. It's not at all. Not that's at on all. him. No. Has nothing yeah. to do with her. And I've learned a lesson. Look at that. I'm happy that we can grow together, CJ. Yeah. Once again, you learn something new every day. <laughs> Does this movie make your desert island top five? Under no circumstances. <laughs> no? No. No way. 
No way. Not, not only because, you know, I'm, I've, I was uncomfortable watching it again, um, <laughs> but I think if I'm going to take a movie like this onto the desert island, I'm taking nerds. Really? Yeah, I'm taking nerds. Uh, I may even take porkies. Okay. You know, um, yeah, I don't, I don't need this one on the desert island. I've broken your heart. You haven't broken my heart. I'm just taking a moment to process because this movie is in my Desert Island Top 5. Wow. I respect yeah. that. I respect that. I mean, committed portions of this film to memory. It's, it's, it's a great movie. It's a great movie. It's, it's hilariously funny. It's executed well. The characters are memorable and long-lasting, as we see in the case of Jay and Silent Bob. Yeah. The score is great. The sound design is off the chain. Is that, so is good. that what the kids are saying? Off the chain? Uh, I or think is that so, what I used I'm, to say? I, I'm 37. I, I, I still say off the chain, so maybe it's actually not cool anymore. Uh-oh. <laughs> if we're saying it, it can't be cool. Oh, my gosh. We are in our late 30s. Yeah, that's great. Late 30s is good. That's a good place to be for me. I'll take that. I celebrated your 40th birthday with you, didn't I? You did. And what did we do? We played Foursquare. It was so okay. good, though. <laughs> we played so Foursquare on my 40th birthday. So, you know, maybe I belong in my mom's basement with the Sega. And maybe that's why I connect with this movie so bad, though, because it is such a snapshot of the 90s kid I was turning into when it came out. Sure. Yeah, it is, our, it is of our time. Mm-hmm. You know, it is it is the the skateboard and the corduroys. It's the hanging out at the mall. You know, may they come back, the malls. Malls. Do you remember going to the mall? I love, loved going to the mall. I would go to the mall by myself to just, like, hang out in the GameStop or, you know, get the cookies from Annie's. I'm sorry, no, Annie's is the pretzels. Auntie Anne's. Auntie Anne. I just go there. You know that back then it wasn't it wasn't on Forty Second Street. They didn't have a standalone. You had to go to no. the mall to get the Auntie Anne's. You know the pretzels, and I think they had cookies too. No, loved going to the mall. The mall was a magical place. I bought every piece of jewelry for a high school girlfriend that I ever had at the mall. Oh, absolutely. Hot Topic was at the mall. Piercing Pagoda. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All the stores. I mean, no, the mall was the place to be. That's where you, that's where you went to hang out. It was the mall or the movie theater. All right, CJ, it's time for the special award. What's your special award? CJ's special award. We should have music for this. There needs to be, a, there needs to be music. Yeah, maybe so this time. Fairy. What's that? Not, I said maybe this time, but not maybe this time. CJ's special award it goes to Stanley it goes to the great great cameo appearance that he has by not only being the super fabulous enough said Stanley that we all know and love but also driving the plot forward and he acts it well it's not, he really does. It's not a throwaway, you know. It's not. It's not bad. He when he says, "Look at that couple over there. They just look <laughs> so in love." You're like, "You fucking a right." They do, Stan. 
Absolutely. My special award for Mall Rats, it goes to Stanley. I like that, CJ. That's a good one. My special award for Mall Rats goes to Sidekick as Leading Man. This is a trope that will continue to come up in Kevin Smith movies. Jay and Silent Bob, you start talking to Jay more than Silent Bob because he's Silent Bob. Silent Bob, right. But I feel like he learns from Clerks that the Randall character is the one that you really want to be following around. Absolutely. And he does that in this movie. Makes the Randall character the lead. But Brody has all of the trappings of the sidekick. They're still written to be your hero is T.S. T.S. And your sidekick is Brody. But you spend the movie following Brody, and I think that's super cool. Yeah, and and just like in, in comic books, you know, he's... Brody is Loki. Yeah. To T.S. is Thor. Absolutely. For sure. Tom Hiddleston really steals those movies, doesn't he? Tom Hiddleston is my hero. I am so... I am so distraught with myself that I did not get to see Betrayal because I'm sure he was phenomenal in it. Like, the guy is one of the great actors of our generation. No question. Yeah. So there are a couple false starts with this movie. Uh, There was a planned sequel that never happened in 2016. That's right. There was a a series allegedly happening. Oh, wow. and And that's no longer, and that's recent. It was yep. they were going to turn the sequel movie into, into a, a series. Mallrats series, and uh, would you watch a Mallrats series, CJ? Uh, if it was made today, yeah, 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 I would absolutely watch a Mallrats series, and I think I would even like get the add-on on Hulu. I'd pay the extra six bucks just to watch it. I think you have to set it in 1995. Has to, has to be set in 1995 yeah. because. Like I said earlier with the malls, you know, let's hope they come back after this pandemic. Like, they malls were dying, as yeah. it were, you know. So it may not be believable that we're hanging out in a mall all day. Or no. that a reputable game show wants to film there. Yeah. I'm going to online shop for the rest of my life. I can see that happening it now. It seems to be what's happening. Yeah. I'm literally wearing sweatpants that I ordered two days ago that came in yesterday. And there you go. There's no reason for malls anymore. Malls have malls have misvanged their way out of the building. Yeah, yeah. There's that American Dream out in New yep. Jersey, of course, that I haven't been to yet because uh, I'm afraid to go. I'm afraid it might be the last mall I ever visit. Yeah, well, understandably so. Mm-hmm. You hear that drama with the five G towers? <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> off the record. Yeah. I, I, those those conspiracy theorist people they've never been right about anything no they've never been right so what how do they how do they keep happening like you know what I'm saying like it's like oh they need a win because they've never had one they've been wrong about everything you know it's funny though I will say this my tour was in Spokane we got to Spokane the same day that they announced that there was one coronavirus patient in Seattle okay and I remember walking to the theater and there was a protest of the 5G towers because the 5G towers was already something to protest before coronavirus and then the conspiracies got joined a few weeks later and I remember thinking be like well you know I was in Spokane and like 
that timing is suspicious. <laughs> and I'm not saying I'm not saying I endorse the conspiracy at all, but like there's something so hilarious that I I can look back and smile that I did have a moment and be like, I don't know, guys. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I did go through a whole chapter of watching <coughs> Illuminati Death of Whitney Houston conspiracy videos. I would fall down holes. So maybe I'm just one of those types. I'll never actually join the rally. Good. But I'll Good. read the literature. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> and then you can educate me on it. Oh, my Lanta. So good. Uh, oh, all right, CJ, is this movie icon or Y-Con? What do you think? Oof. I think... I think that it is a really hilarious romp through a space and time that we all, at least, you know, men of our certain age, men and women of our certain age have a a great affinity for I do not think that it's an iconic film I think it's a real fun movie I think like again I think it's like Revenge of the Nerds I think it's like Porky's I even you know it 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 gets near Animal House but Animal House is an iconic film Mallrats is just outside of that for me. I'll have to agree with you. While I don't feel like the film is particularly iconic, it is a special film. It holds a special place in my heart. And I will always remember moments like Tell Him Steve Dave, One Side Red. That kid is back on the escalator kid again. Kid is back on the escalator. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of wonderful moments. And, and a movie that I'm glad they made with its, you know, warts and all. Warts and all, yeah. indeed. All right, CJ, well, thank you for joining me for another episode of Icon or Wycon. Pleasure as always. It was my pleasure, Andrew. I'm CJ LaRoche. I'm Andrew David Sotomayor. And we'll see you next time. Next time. Next time.